Across the Pond Golf Podcast, a discussion about performance and enjoyment in golf and life. All right. Well, welcome to the Across the Pond Golf Podcast, Episode 7. Today's guest, we have Shannon Heffernan. Shannon, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? Yeah, doing well. Enjoying the nice weather here. in Calgary. I'm back for a little bit, so 15 degrees in March. I, I don't think. Oh, are you back in Calgary here? Yeah, yeah. Just for I was back for the week, so yeah. Okay, yeah, great day to be back today. <laughs> I know, right? So, yeah. uh, maybe tell us a little bit. We'll start off with dynamic motion golf. How it kind of came into being, you know, getting into the fitness side of things, your background in golf, just maybe a little bit of the last, let's say, five, 10 years for yourself. Sure, sure. Um, it kind of probably has to go back a little bit further than that. So um, I, I started getting into golf when I was kind of in my later teens, just fall in love with the game. Um, I went to the University of Western Ontario and they just started having a, a varsity team kind of as I joined. So I got the opportunity to just walk onto the team. I really hadn't played a ton of competitive golf, but uh, I was able to walk on, play, play golf there for three years. Um, and then after I uh, graduated, I turned pro between my undergrad and my master's degree. Um, so I studied kinesiology between both um, my undergrad and my master's, and I did my master's out here at UFC. So that's kind of how I got, I just got really obsessed with the game. And it, as, as any kind of golfer tends to be, you kind of, you, you hit a couple good shots and you feel that, you just feel that. <laughs> that's all I have to say. And then it kind of, you're addicted for <laughs> forever. So, um, and then I've always been into personal health, fitness, training, strength training. So I decided to try and get as much knowledge on both sides as I could. Um, so I did a master's degree at the University of Calgary. And, and then from there, hi. Um, and then from there, that's kind of where dynamic motion golf came in. So I graduated, um, I was already a professional with the PGA of Canada. So I was teaching, I started teaching and training, and then I decided to kind of marry the two and, and start my own, uh, my own company that actually at that time, I both taught and trained uh, my clients. So I would do a full uh, fitness movement screen before I even um, instructed my clients. And then we would do a combination of some lessons and some, some mobility fitness training. And then from there, so that's now built, um, out with now my husband, uh, Wes Heffernan, who's been a long time playing professional um, and a very high level playing professional. He's come on board with me and he, he thankfully agreed to do a performance center with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we now have dynamic motion golf in its current form, which is fitness and golf all in one facility, which we love. And we're just happy to be able to provide for um, Calgarians here. And we look to hopefully be um, some inspiration for the rest of Canada to maybe pop up a few more of these kind of combined training centers that allow golfers to, to do both the fitness and the golf. So that was a very long explanation, but <laughs> that's kind of how it all came to be. Well, and so I've, I've been there, obviously James, James hasn't, but it's a, it's a great facility. You've guys got the track men set up. You guys have a training area. You've got a putting and pitching area. It's a great place to go out practice in the winter. And I think that's a great segue into, you know, you've got a big off season in Canada, especially in Calgary. Yeah. 
And how do you kind of see with like some high level athletes or even some like just average golfers, the training and the way you would train people say in the winter versus in summer when they're playing a lot more, like maybe competing a lot more and whatnot. So the difference between the two types of training. Yeah. Be, uh, across the season, whether it's in the winter or if it's in the summer. So there is definitely huge differences um, in my opinion, because when we're in, uh, in the, the climate that we have in Canada, especially out here in Calgary, it's a very long off season. And then it's like a jam packed short in season. <laughs> so um, the off season is really, really important to get people prepared to be able to golf like a lot in the summer repetitively. Like some of my clients last year were upwards of hundred to 120 rounds in literally like six months <laughs> yeah, or less, well, like, yeah. even less than that like literally four and a half maybe five months right um and that is a big um part of what we do in the off season is we have to try and prepare the body to withstand all of that repetitive motion so off season training is a lot of um joint mobility work first off to make sure that the function of the joints are there um, but then really the big second one that I think is the, the least trained and the most important is the capacity. So once the mobility and the function are in the joints or the, or the joints have function and mobility, then it's just a matter of building that joint capacity to withstand the amount of repetitive load throughout the season. So that's our goal in the off season initially. And then we would go into strength and power but my goal with most golfers is really that capacity foundation, because if I can do that, then at least I know that I can get them close to a full season without their bodies breaking down or hopefully the whole season without their body breaking down. Because I know that when people get into season, it's like there's no stopping and there's very, it's very difficult to people to have people maintain or even work on their fitness in season. So that's definitely the off season side of it. Yeah. Yeah, because I think the thing is, Shannon, obviously, as all three of us are, are golfers, it's very much as soon as you can go out and play, you just want to do as much as possible, you know. And and I know that you guys uh, certainly will be coming out of, out of winter soon and, and back onto the golf courses. And for us in the UK, we're just kind of coming out of lockdown. In, in a couple of weeks' time, the courses will be opening back up for us you're going to get a lot of people who haven't swung a golf club for five months, four months, whatever it is. And they're going to turn up to the first tee on a Sunday, Saturday morning or whatever it is, pull out the driver. They're going to have two practice swings and then expect their bodies to just, you know, move along and, and, and start working properly. And I think you would get considerable sort of muscle atrophy without doing anything anyway because the gyms have been shut and, and a lot of people won't have been doing that kind of work um yeah. but obviously it, it's difficult to get people to, to sort of hold back and prepare their bodies so would there be a sort of way to marry the two where you say all right go and go and play but let's let's sort of focus on building that foundation at the same time to sort of ease the the way back in and, and sort of reduce injury risk definitely so yeah like we, what we'll see is it come may people are i want to start getting ready for the season and it's like well season is already here you guys missed a ton of time but yeah you can definitely you can marry the two um i would say it's just a matter of of trying to 
it's hard because people are going to want to go out and play three, four rounds in the first, they just will. Um, so I think as much mobility and capacity training as you can, where your body still feels not sore in the first month or two, you want to kind of mitigate all that fatigue and all that, um, yeah, just all that fatigue in the joints. So two, three days, four days, you know, as much mobility training as you can do while you're golfing and then trying to back off. I shouldn't say back off. This is not going to happen, but trying to minimize maybe how many balls you hit if you're on the range um, and trying to maybe start out with two or three rounds in the first few weeks and then building it up from there. But it, it's a, that's a very hard task to ask of golfers in the very first of season. So. Yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> happen, is it? uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think, I think the difficult thing is for a lot of people, um, you know, obviously you work with elite athletes who spend the majority of their time working on their particular craft, but for a lot of golfers, they've got the, the sort of nine to five jobs or they're in the office or, or whatever, and they're sitting down for prolonged periods of time every single day. That's just not strengthening their body at all. It's not preparing them for any sort of movement. So, you know, obviously they're, they're not going to have the time necessary perhaps to, to continually do movement work of an evening after work. They want to spend time with their families and, and one thing or another. So are there any sort of, maybe micro workouts that that people could do just little five five or sort of ten minutes little training yeah. sessions that that can really help oh for sure i mean it, i think the biggest thing is if uh, most of the people that i train they actually have very few high level golfers come through um a few um chris being one of the one of those and and my husband we've got some, a few some, sometimes sometimes yeah. <laughs> um uh, but yeah no we we really do um work with mostly um more of the general population that just love to play golf just your like really avid golfers that that have jobs or that are retired and and really have bodies that just don't don't work well so i think the biggest thing with people's time if they can at least get an understanding of where their limitations lie so doing a golf fitness and movement screen, doing a TPI um, analysis, Titleist Performance Institute is fantastic for their screening process, doing something that allows you to understand where your big red flags are that are going to cause the most issue for you in the, in the season. So if you can get that to start, then you could have maybe two or three just specific stretches or specific exercises that you need to focus on to at least work on those red flags. And that could be five, 10 minutes a day. Um, with, uh, with the TV platform that we've developed, we do a 20 minute mobility and that, uh, each episode is targeted to a different area. So if you have trouble with separation or if you have trouble with shoulder mobility or hip mobility, you can kind of jump on and do one specific 20 minute mobility and that's it. And at least you're doing something right. So you're, you're able to try and gradually build up that body. But if you're sitting all day, I mean, it's, it's so hard because you're, you're really combating a lot of stiffness, a lot of tightness, and and golf requires so much of the body. It's tough. So, uh, James, I'm just going to jump in quickly. So, Shannon, I'm curious because I do for for my day job. I'm I definitely sit quite a bit. What does actually like say sitting for like two, three, four hours in a row do with your body? Whether it's at an office or even say if you're in the car, you know. And I know for both of us, James and I have traveled 
to events and we've driven hours, right? And like, it's not like we were stopping every, you know, 30 minutes doing some jumping jacks, get moving up and down and stuff like that. What does it actually do to your body that would like really make it hard to say, run to the golf course after work and play nine holes? Well, I'd say it's just, it's just lack of movement. So the muscles will be more in a tighter, shorter state. Um, they won't be as prepared, but I, what I would say is if you are outside of your desk job doing as much as you can, then sitting for four hours and then asking your body to move, you might actually be able to do it. But if you're not training at all, and then you're sitting for four or five hours and then you ask your body to move, it's not going to be moving very well. So if you can improve the function of your joints to the point where they function fairly well, you'll be able to go through those daily, you know, sitting down for four or five hours and still move. Okay. Um, but it's going to tighten you up. It's, it's really going to, the nervous system's just in a different place. You're not ready to, to be an athlete after sitting for that long. Yeah. It's, I mean, cause the thing is, we, it's not even about being an athlete really. I mean, I suppose we we're all animals and you don't get any other animal really just sitting there in a chair doing nothing for, for such prolonged periods. Yeah. I know that there was a, a, well, a, a paper done. Um, I think it was Mark Sisson, uh, the sort of primal blueprint guy. And, and yeah. there's a, an English uh, guy that he did it with. I can't remember his name, but they, they sort of looked into just how maybe sitting on the floor could really impact your mobility and movement through the, through the day, just, just because you're constantly having to move around, you're not comfortable. Yeah. So just even sitting on the floor, uh, getting up, moving around, it can have a massive impact. Oh, fan hugely. Yeah, our bodies are meant to move. We're human, we're not meant to sit. Um, and yeah, I think that's my, my training. My, a lot of my background is Titleist Performance Institute, but also functional range conditioning. And their um, big, big tagline is we're humans first. The humans are meant to move. Um, we're not meant to sit for long periods of time. We're not meant to sit in postures that, yeah, put our, put our, our muscles and our joints on strain. Uh, and then the combat to that is then we don't move the joints in the range of motion that they should be moved. So we've got tighter joints. We've got less dysfunctional joints because of these kind of daily sitting postures. And then we don't actually train them in the proper way. So trying to ask that to then go to the golf, uh, to the range or, or go and, you know, start to play a, a, a round of 18, you're asking your body to rotate at high speeds, which most people's body don't even, don't, they don't even know how to rotate their joints. Don't, don't rotate for the most part. Um, and then you want to be coordinated. So you're asking your body to be balanced, move the lower body set first, the torso second, the arms third in perfect sequence with contraction and relaxation with speed. It's like, yeah, one of the most coordinated movements you can do with the human body. And then you're, you're combating that with the least coordinated tightest thing you can do is just basically sit so <laughs> yeah, i'll tell you what shannon you've always made me feel a little bit better about not being very good yeah so i mean what's uh, obviously with the strength and, and the mobility work um you know how much time spent do you think could really start to to make a difference for people because again it's you know people tend to think and, and we all want fast results but yep. 
it's not really a fast process. So, no. you know, how long do people expect or should they expect to uh, to put in some time on this thing before they can see the results? And, and obviously, what can they expect to see improve as far as performance goes? For sure. I think a minimum 20 minutes a day, if you're willing to put in to, to, to at least mobility training, that would be, that would be a minimum. But if you could put in 20 minutes a day with not understanding kind of where to put your focus, that would be, you would make huge change with that. So you're obviously not going to change your, maybe your shoulder mobility, hip mobility, torso mobility, you know, all of that in 20 minutes. But if you've got a red flag, that's really restricting your swing and you're working on that 20 minutes a day, you'll see quite substantial change within a month. You'll see change. And then past that point, it's just continual. Unless there's some sort of joint, like deeper joint restriction. Yeah. And 20 minutes, Shannon, it's, it's really not a long time, is it? You no. know, it's, it's, it's half a show on Netflix or, or whatever it is. You yeah. can do it while you're watching the TV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a very, I mean, it, you really do, if you want to be a golfer, if you want to play golf for a long time and be able to, you know, do it without pain, it's just, it's a requirement. You have to. And, and anybody, I mean, you obviously know being a high, you guys know being, you know, high level players, the guys that are on tour and they're playing, you know, at that high level, they're putting more time into their body than they are on the range usually and on the course, because they know if their bodies break down, they're not going to be able to play at the high level. They're not going to be able to play. They're not going to be able to make money. But for us, it's like, we just see them play. We don't see all the work that goes into their ability to actually do that day after day. James and, even, and James and I just didn't know the opposite of that. When we were in college and we put a lot of time in on the range and probably not a lot so on the true. body. <laughs> so true. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're very true. So it's, I would say, yeah, no, at that no. level, when you're in like that kind of coming out of high school, college level, you're, it's probably all play and very little body. And then when you kind of get more established, those guys that are, you know, that you're seeing more at the, in the top 50, they're spending a ton of time, but yeah, that's probably a knowledge and a money thing, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you, kind of, you don't have the money to spend on, you know, on, on all these different, you know, team, team members and, and it's, it's tough. I, I get it. My husband's been, you know, doing the same thing. And, and we went, you know, we went through that phase of, of him trying to make it on the PGA tour and, and European tour and all that too. So. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's, I, I think uh, one thing I was going to ask just as far as yeah. like the injuries that you see and Shannon helped me definitely progress through an injury, you know, and I, I, I was doing yoga. We've never talked about this on the podcast, James, but I was doing yoga and I strained a muscle in my lower ab. Oh. <laughs> that, you know, um, I'm not surprised, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but go on, please tell the story. Go on, carry on. Well, I mean, there's not much more to, to tell, but I know when I went and saw Shannon, I think the first three months of the injury, there, I didn't almost do anything. I went and did some physio some uh, some acupuncture but I know when I first came and saw you you're like well if, if you would have came, come here first we would have actually got you doing at least a little bit yeah. so how often do you see when you get some people that have had injuries and you know whether it's a nagging thing for a few months or a year or even something fresh that people maybe back off even a little bit too much yeah. and maybe just talk a little bit about injuries in general 
Yeah, I'd say like if if the common the common theme is if something hurts, we stop moving. Right. Yeah. So so especially with backs, if we get a little bit of back discomfort, like our first tendency is to just oh I better not I better not move it. So we kind of you know everything becomes very robotic, and we don't we, we don't don't touch the spine, don't move the spine, like it's. So I think we get that just sense of when we have some sort of injury that we want to completely protect it and not move it. And that's kind of one of the worst things that, that we can do. Um, and if you've got a great physio, if you've got a really good team around you, um, they should definitely kind of understand what levels you can move at. But it's important when you're trying to rehab or coming back from an injury that you start to um, reintroduce that the movement that that joint does so that when the tissue is healing, um, they're called fibroblasts. The fibroblasts are able to lay down tissue in the lines of the movement of the joint so that it doesn't just randomly throw tissue down anywhere because we're in this, this position and, and, and they don't know what to do. They just throw down tissue. But if we're moving and we're, we're doing motions that the joint should do, they will start to kind of lay down tissue on more of the lines of that movement. And we don't need, have to do quite as much in terms of the rehab. Could you just sort of, uh, elaborate on that obviously for for those of us who don't speak uh, kinesiology yeah like that's kind of the technical <laughs> term. Like, I'll get into like I, it basically it's just the the tissue doesn't heal properly so the tissue heals more in a jumble and less in kind of series where you can create proper movement through a joint yeah right um and, so and I'm, not, I'm not like these guys on uh, the frc guys are brilliant so if you want more information on that andreos yeah. uh um, Michael Shivers, they're like, all those guys are brilliant when it comes to um, the physiological side of it. Um, I kind of put it into my own brain as to kind of what it looks like. And, and I just see this kind of very unstructured, random pattern of tissue being laid down that doesn't know how to fire, doesn't know how to move. And then that, then we kind of combat that with then we go into strength training with a joint that is dysfunctional, doesn't know how to fire. There's compensation of different muscles going on um and then we and then we try and add strength which is not going to be a good a good thing yeah so putting that that sort of uh rebuilt or uh incorrectly rebuilt tissue under strain yeah. it is then just going to to cause more injury than definitely yeah than because yeah. that yeah the, the the joint at that point is dysfunctional so you're going to recruit different muscles possibly to move it you're not going to be able to move it through a full range of motion you're going to start adjusting and changing things in your body to compensate for that dysfunction yeah. so it's it's really easy to think of it as um let's take a because golf is go, hips are the one of the biggest things in golf so let's say you don't have any rotation in your left hip and it does not move, we basically say you don't have a hip. Your hip should be able to move freely within the joint. If it's kind of stuck in that joint, if you, if you can't move your hip, you don't really have a hip. So the hip and lower back are all connected. So we want to make sure that our joints are functioning, they're moving the way they should. And yeah, after an injury, you want to make sure that you're, you're at least getting in some movement and working with somebody that, that really understands getting you back to, to where you need to be. Yeah. And I think, Chris, you, you've definitely experienced that, haven't you, where, um, you know, your hips and uh, lower back have, have been fighting against each other and, and the lower back definitely lost. Oh, gosh. 
Yeah. And I mean, Shannon can attest to this. She's like the first screening that she did. <laughs> there was probably some laughing on <laughs> as far as how tight I was and that I could play call. And it was funny, like, interestingly enough, we actually worked on just breathing correctly for, I think, like the first two sessions. Cause I took, I, I held so much tension in my breath and it, like that can run itself through the body, which, yeah, I found fascinating when I was there. I know like the first, I think I was there with you for about two two months before I came to Vancouver. Yeah. And yeah, the first month was breathing and like a lot of structural stuff. Like it was, well, cra- it was crazy. Let's go off onto a bit of a segue then. And, and Shannon, do you want to talk about the importance of, of breathing correctly? Because uh, it's yeah, not spoken about that, very often. Yeah, that's definitely one that I think we tend to skip a little bit. Um, and I think it's one of the most important ones that we need to work on, especially as golfers. Um, so breathing from a, a, a just a, a relaxation standpoint, first off, so to be able to combat nerves, um, to be able to breathe through situations when you're in those high pressure situations, or when you're just a, a general golfer and you're out there and people are watching you. I think just being able to properly breathe for those situations is one aspect um, because it'll help you get out of that kind of fight or flight reaction. It'll help you to calm your nervous system and allow your body to work more effectively. So when, if we're in fight or flight, um, if we're in a fight or flight reaction, the, our body tends to tense. And then that sequence that we need for golf tends to really um, compensate, or I shouldn't say compensate. It, it, it tends to get messed up. So the sequence doesn't work as well as, as well as it should. From a, from more of a, a body movement or structural uh, mobility standpoint with breathing when you have proper diaphragm breathing you're going to have better segmental control better movement of the rib cage of the spine and then as you get that then you have better core control and it really just stems from there Um, so when we let's say we're at our desks and we're breathing most of us will breathe tend to breathe chest breathe and neck breathe so we breathe and we tighten up all the muscles in the neck and the upper back. So when that happens, that tension goes all the way down the back and can stiffen you up and resist or um, combat your rotation or restrict your your rotation. When we start to learn how to breathe and actually properly use the diaphragm, it allows us to get out of this tension area and properly as we breathe in, diaphragm lowers, as we breathe out, diaphragm raises up and we're not using the neck and the upper back to create that tension. In Chris's, um, in Chris's uh, injury, with Chris's injury, when he came to me with that lower ab strain and his lower back issues, one of the big things was being able to properly um, use that breath and then be able to actually feel how the spine moves segmentally. And breathing is a huge part of that. So, being able to expand, you know, the lower rib cage, feel like you can actually breathe into the back, all of that. And we can get into very tactical details with the breathing, but it very much helps your, your body to move the spine, rotate the spine, properly engage your core, and then huge when it comes to stress relief on the course. Well, you know what? I, th- I think, Ed, well, I know certainly I've been conscious of my breathing while you've been speaking about it. I was that. just going to ask, I was like, James, are you thinking <laughs> about your breathing right now? <laughs> um, but you, you can, you can feel the difference. And, and like you say, it's, you, you almost have to train yourself to do it without thinking. Um, sure. But also, I mean, obviously the, the sort of flight or, uh, fight or flight reaction that breathing can sort of stimulate, that might impair 
your sort of cognitive function as well and, and it might make you know you could start making uh, sort of bad decisions on the course and and uh, not really thinking correctly definitely uh, as a result yeah that would be yeah that would be actually one of the one of the main ones especially if you're playing at a high highly competitive golf for sure See, this is interesting shannon i'm gonna a little bit of a curveball that we didn't put in our notes before <laughs> getting on to today's <laughs> session but do you use the wearable like a whoop or ring fitbit or anything like that i don't know okay so no. james and i are both like we both use whoops and basically whoop has one to 21 as far as your strain level goes and 21 would be like a marathon okay, okay. now in the last three months of playing golf my usual strain on a golf course for 18 holes and that's walking 18 holes is somewhere around like a 12 and a half to 14 depending on like the undulation I played a tournament on Sunday and my strain was up to a 17 and a half. My calories went from typically around, I think, 1500 calories, 1400 to 2100. Yeah. Now being in a, like a competition, like I was out there longer, I think for an extra like 40 minutes. But I do wonder with the breathing and as far as like your heartbeat, I know my heart rate was way up, yeah. what that can do to you too. And I'd also like to ask you for like, from your perspective after a round like that, what can you do from a calorie perspective, nutrition, and to just recover, obviously when you do get a stressful round? Yeah. So that's, you just, you kind of hit the nail on the head there, like the stress. So, you know, the, you, there's obviously there was a body reaction for you. The extra 40 minutes would probably take a lot of that as well. Um, yeah. But there's no question when you're in competition, there's way more stress. So you're, yeah, your heart rate's going to go up. You're going to end up just burning more calories just in general because you're, you're stressed. Um, and, and, and you're, so yeah, you're going to need that breathing to be very effective and you're going to need to be able to recognize when to use it. But I would recommend um, for most golfers, for every golfer really, to find somewhere in their routine where they take that breath. So yeah. it doesn't matter where, but maybe you pull the club out of the bag, you're looking at your target and you do a full, you know, deep inhale, complete exhale, visualize whatever you want on the exhale, releasing tension, dropping the stress, you know, whatever it is. Um, and then continue with your shot. Same thing somewhere in putting. Everyone's different. Everyone can use it differently. But I think if you start to do it that way, it'll at least bring some more relaxation over the ball. And then if you need to use it between shots as well, that can, that can really make, make a difference when you're, you're, when you're done the round, you're after the round and you need to start to recover. I think this is where most people really drop the ball. Um, especially I'd say more competitive golfers are probably a little bit better, but maybe not. Um, I was surprised at some of the higher level ones that I did, that I had seen how little knowledge there actually was on how properly to eat and how, um, how to treat the body after the rounds. So you want to get like a full good, new, full meal, good um, complex carbohydrates. So your rice, your sweet potatoes, something that's going to help uh, restore your glycogen. Um, you're going to want to have your, your good fats. So some sort of olive oil, avocado, um, some sort of good source of fat, uh, your protein, obviously, and, and then just lots of water. 
But I think the hobby is to just, you know, come off the round, possibly have a beer, a burger. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, I know, I know the players is going on right now. And I think if Lee Westwood does win, there might be a few pints going on. There aren't going to be many avocados eaten. (laughs) No. Um, One other thing I was just going to ask quickly, sorry, James, is what from a body perspective as well that you, you can do, like, I know for me, like that night, was brutal. Like I didn't, I, I usually, I sleep quite well and my body was like achy and I tried to get like a little bit of stretching done, a little bit of rolling. I even went in like a hot bath and whatnot. And again, like this is a very, like a stressful round. It's not, it's not going to be every time, you, every time you play, but is there anything else you would suggest from like a body perspective? For sure. I would say, I mean, you're going to find what tends to kind of relax your body the most. So there's a lot of different um, avenues you can get, you can go. Um, but I would, I would recommend some sort of ISO ramping or rolling. So you're just your traditional roller. It's not going to do a ton in terms of like changing tissue tissue necessarily, but I do think that it can help just make you feel more relaxed and, and help. Uh, it can help maybe take a little bit of the strain out of the tissue. Um, but ISO ramping is really good as well, which is just kind of whether you're on a ball or a roller, letting it kind of sink into the tissue and then contracting the muscle and, and pushing it out, letting it sink into the tissue and pushing it out. So just doing some, some, some body recovery tissue repair type of work like that. Um, light stretching. So we do a couple different types of stretching. So in the FRC system, they use pails and rails, which um, helps to add a strength to the end range to improve the range of motion faster and to keep it um but you would want to do just a very light stretching routine so maybe a 30 second to a minute stretch and focus this is where you'd really bring in the breathing so you're just really deep breathing focusing on that breath you're going to hit the joints that are most um affected by golf so your spine your shoulders your hips and your neck likely um especially your spine and your hips because you want to just make sure that you go back and you just reestablish that movement. And if there is, there is going to be strain on the body after that round. So you're, you're dealing with these little micro strains and we talked about kind of having proper tissue repair. So if you're at the end of the round, just going through these little movements. So the spinal segmentation, learning to move your spine properly, um, your cats and dogs or your cats, and camels, whatever you want to call them. Um, your hip mobility, your 90, 90 stretches, that kind of thing in a light manner, fully breathing, fully diaphragm breathing through all those movements, you will feel a lot better the next day. So like time frame, Shannon, sort of how, how soon after the round are we talking? And that's for obviously the nutrition and uh, the, the stretching, the mobility work sort of straight after it, like or within an hour or, or what are we looking at? The nutrition, I would try and get as soon as soon after the round as you can. Um, I would say at the most an hour after, but but try and get a good full meal as soon as you can after the round. Just replace those energy stores. I'd say for the for the body prep and the body recovery, it doesn't need to be right after. So you can have that meal. You can just go relax, and then you know maybe an hour or two before bed you you come down and, and do your your workout. So I don't think there's a specific time frame on that. I think it's just a matter of doing it. Yeah. And I, what I would like to elaborate on what Chris just mentioned uh, with regards to the sort of strain that, that you would find in a round of golf. Now, whether that be the, the 14 or 15 strain from a, a normal round or the 17 from uh, yeah. a competitive round, 
But, I mean, for, for people that don't have the wearables, 21 is as high as you can go. And as Chris said, that's sort of like your marathon. Yeah. But a round of golf, it's, it's not that far off. And, I, and, and that kind of brings us full circle back around to getting your body prepared. The importance of the strength training and mobility, because I genuinely don't think people realize how strenuous a round of golf is. You know, not only are you walking five to seven miles, but swinging metal sticks about all day, it, it's tough work. You know, it's a lot of bending down to read putts and, and picking your ball out of the hole. And, and, and there's a lot that goes into it. That I don't think people quite uh, realize is happening. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. I think, I think people, they don't see golf in the right light. I would say if you're, if you're walking your full round and it's a fairly hilly course, um, you're out there for four to five hours of walking and swinging. You're repetitively hitting into your joints, especially your lower back, your hips, your upper back, you're repetitively rotating those, those, you know, joints. When we literally do not do that at any other point in the day, at any time throughout the rest of the season, right? So if we're in off season, so if you're not preparing your body for that, you're, you're just setting yourself up for injury for, well, injury for sure. Um, either soon in the, soon in the season or later in the season, it just is a matter of when. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy. Um, obviously I, I do mobility and strength training uh, frequently uh, and I've got a, a physical job, you know, I'm not sitting down all day and, and I was just swinging the other day, just, you know, just a few gentle swings to kind of sort of get the body moving again. And my left hip was in agony after I'm, I'm literally talking 10 swings without hitting a ball, just swinging a club. And my left hip was aching the next day. Like that's how uh, sort of impactful it can be. And I don't think people sure. really, really get that, do they? No, they definitely don't. And I think, um, you know, and we're, we're young and, and healthy individuals too. So we've also got to think about, you know, what's happening with these, you know, older golfers, these retired golfers that, you know, that, that even don't have that, that very, have very little range of motion and, and constant compensation. So your bodies are going to struggle, but your performance is going to struggle a ton, right? You're not going to be able to yeah. get the results you want on the course for sure. And you want to start as soon as possible, don't you? Because, you know, even if you're in your, your sort of late teens, early 20s, building the habits at that stage, it's key, regardless of whether you want to be a professional golfer or play at the highest level or just recreational, not only for your, for your overall health, you know, throughout life, but certainly on the golf course, you don't want to, to turn up and have to hobble off every week because you, you can't, deal with the strain of it all no for sure and i think i think we're in a hard um time right now too with um with the younger golfers coming up because of all of the well even you know everything that we've had to deal with in the last couple of years now with covid and um with social media and being just more on our computers more on our phones these you know these younger kids are going to struggle with um body function issues joint function issues so they need to be really preparing um, and, and learning how to move their joints and how to strengthen their joints properly, for sure. And I think, you know, as far as like things that are going on are relevant as well, we wanted to get into speed today too with you, Shannon. And I think going back, my injury, like I was someone that kind of chased speed. I wanted to see how fast I could get swinging the golf club. And I think, you, like you said earlier, if you don't really do any 
prior stuff to get your joints, your muscles ready to build and whatnot, just to play golf. But even from a speed perspective, injuries can come about. So how do you feel about everything what's going on? I know obviously Bryson's the one that's at the center of it, but how individuals can get speed in the right way versus the way I know for myself, the wrong way of like where you're going to get injured and whatnot. Yeah. So, I mean, there's definitely a couple different ways that you can look at developing speed. And one of the ways is the way Bryson has kind of done it with um, he, he's just really bulked up, increased his strength. So he's got, you know, more ability to produce force and he'll be able to, with that, produce a little bit more speed. Um, and he obviously does a ton of speed training as well, but the average person, uh, they, they don't have the same time frame. They don't have the ability to pop to, to likely do that much training. Um, so from a safer standpoint in terms of getting started with speed is first off, making sure that your joints function properly. Second, making sure that the joints have the capacity to withstand the load that you're going to impart, whether it's with strengthening or speed. And then with speed, depending on kind of the level of golfer we're talking about here too, the, the more general golfer, I would say, would benefit more from just technique work. So like a martial artist, they don't, they don't wait um, a punch they work on, on really fine tuning the ability of the joint to move very specifically, and then they start to add speed to it. So I like to think of golf as being more on that side of it. If you can learn how to move your body and then you start to move your body in those ways that you want to create the speed, then you make it faster and you make it faster, you make it faster then you can start to add in your more of your power and your strength within that as well. But I think people don't learn to move their body well enough before they decide to add on all of the strength and the speed on top of it. So that's kind of the way that I think about it. It's just, I would, I would say speed generation is, is a skill. It needs to be the techniques technique needs to be there. Um, and then you can work on it that way uh, for, for the younger golfers that maybe have, have better function that way, then you would look at improving strength and then really starting to hit um, the speed in that in that direction. Yeah, because you'll find that, and we've we've played with people. I mean, I've certainly had issues technically uh, as far as the pelvis moves, and you see a loss of it with particularly with amateur golfers, where the, the pelvis starts to get elevated early on, um, and you sort of get that crunching on the on the sort of lower right side of the body. Yeah. And, yeah. and trying to swing faster, and I did this for years, where it was just try and hit it as hard as possible. And then all of a sudden, you've got a bad back constantly. Yeah. Um, and, and not only that, I think it really does hamper your ability to, to, to move fast. You kind of hit a ceiling, and no amount of training is really going to push you further. Uh, whereas, I mean, one thing I will say for Bryson, yeah, obviously he's bulked up a lot, but he's... I mean, obviously, you could sort of dive into this, but from from where I sit, his body function looks very, very good and very healthy. Yeah, I don't. Um, there's he. I don't. I have never seen what he does in terms of like the mobility and the function standpoint. But from what I've seen, there's a lot of knowledge there in the guys that he's working with, and they obviously know their stuff. So he probably has a decent amount of function behind him in that. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of kind of where you're at in terms of where that body is. And then 
what age you're at and what, what your goals are really and how, how you want to regain that speed. Because I think it's, you can put yourself just at such risk. I think speed is so huge now. And I think speed sticks are fantastic, but I also think that, you know, you're also getting your 65, 70 year old golfers, you know, grabbing speed sticks. And I literally have a client I haven't seen all winter. And he's like, yeah, I got my speed sticks. I'm going to start swinging them. I'm like, buddy, like, you got to at least do a little bit before, before you start just swinging as hard as you can. So I think they're that's fantastic. Not, they definitely that's a lot of years of like probably not mobility work and working on the joints, you know? <laughs> so it just, it, it, so you just have to be, you just have to be cautious. You want to make sure that you do give yourself the best ability to create speed, which is making your joints better, making them have a better capacity, making them stronger. And then, you know, really trying to hone in on the movement. So how does the pelvis move properly? You know, do the hips move properly and really trying to get the movement part of it and then start to really add speed. Um, it's, it's the same thing when I train like a lot of my clients, they want to go speed hide skill. So if they're moving through an exercise really fast, it shows me that they don't know how to break it down and actually understand how to move through it as a skill. Yeah. If you get the movement, if you understand how to, how to put that movement together, then you can make it faster and faster and faster and faster. And that's more the specificity specificity they're training now more with golf, like with Bryson, who is training more, how fast can I swing my club specifically hitting a ball as opposed to even doing the speed in the gym, right? Because it's that skill. He's trying to repeat the skill of making his swing faster, not even necessarily pulling a band faster or pushing a weight faster with power that kind of thing yeah so how is it transferable and, and i think uh, you know i mean my coach has, has always said if you're ever training a movement without a ball at least put a t-peg there or some point of reference because mm -hmm. it's, it's no good just standing in the garden swinging as fast as you can but you know the club is, is 10 12 inches off the ground as you come through impact your body is in nowhere near the, the correct space that it would be if there was a ball there. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think from a physiological standpoint, you would increase your speed, but you may not increase um, the consistency with the speed hitting a ball. You might increase your speed and then start to maybe blow it all over the place a little bit more because you're faster. But I, I think that specificity is really huge when it comes to, to swinging. Um, but uh, there is some transfer obviously of getting stronger and getting your body faster and, and moving it better. But, but yeah, I think, I think they're, they're starting to see now with Bryson and, and those guys are starting to just swing as fast as they can swing. And that's why at a young age, we also encourage like much younger golfers to just swing as fast as they can, because that develops their, I'm talking young golfers, um, but that develops their ability to create speed down the road as well. Because if we've missed our speed windows when we're quite young, we also have a cap on our speed um, when we're a little bit older. And it doesn't allow us to maybe get as high as we want to if, unless we've done some something when we're younger as well. Yeah, which is interesting because we had uh, Sam Truman on who, who coaches both of us currently. Uh, we had him on a couple of weeks ago. And he said that, you know, his biggest thing is trying to get people to, to sort of neurologically let go. Yeah. And, and just swing as hard as you can because we sort of, with a ball there, it, it's crucial. It doesn't matter where it goes. Just swing as fast as you can. 
but we all kind of want to guide it and, and keep it straight. Yeah. But you kind of have to let go of that and just For move sure. as fast as you can. Yeah, no, completely. And that's that's where that skill component comes in. And you're not you're not focusing on doing one specific move. You're just your your skill, your focus is hitting swinging as fast as you possibly can. Yeah. But build the foundations first. But you've got yeah, you got you got to get the body to support that. If you don't have a hip and you're swinging as fast as you can, you're gonna blow something out, probably a knee or a back. So it's just unless you can unless you can compensate really really well and 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 that energy goes somewhere else. But you could blow out an ab muscle too in yoga. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think uh, maybe we'll ask one more. And I know Shannon, you got family to be with and whatnot. Uh, I, I, I'm just curious as well. What is it about golf? You, you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but what is it about golf that kind of made you decide this is what I want to do as a career. I want to help people with their bodies, make them move efficiently, make them, you know, play better golf and whatnot. Uh, that's a really good question. Um, I was just, I was really athletic as a, as a kid and I loved all sports, but then as soon as I started to play golf, I think I've just always loved things that I can do on my own and figure out on my own and get better. Um, and golf was just, I just really like just fell in love with it. And I got addicted to that feeling of constant, constantly trying to improve and get a little bit better. Um, and then on the fitness side, I just, for some reason, I've always been able to see movement or I've been, I've been very interested in kind of understanding how people move. And when I went through my master's degree, um, I did all of the education, but it was really after that I started taking Titleist Performance Institute. Um, I did basically all of what they have for the most part. Um, and then just marrying the two, like my love for golf. And then I just saw how much golfers were struggling with injuries and, when I started teaching, I could really see, I couldn't impact them as much teaching as I wanted because I was seeing how lack or how deficient they were in, in moving and in their joint mobility and stuff like that, that I wasn't, it was almost like I just started getting a little bit frustrated on the range, watching them hit balls because I knew that I wasn't going to see the change I wanted to see in them unless they made the body changes. So I actually, um, I now actually don't teach, uh, teach golf at all anymore. I just specifically work on improving their bodies for golf, because to me, it just makes, I can make more change and I can help them. I feel like I can help them play better, play longer and, you know, and hopefully get more enjoyment out of the game, which is, which is all what it's about. And that transfers, you know, for the day-to-day -day lives as well, doesn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. How many people you see all the time where that they sort of spend so much time just on the sofa or in a chair or, or one thing or another, and they get to the age of 60, they've got all these health problems, you know, mm -hmm. and I think it's, I think it's a great thing that, you know, that you've got into. It's very unique as well that, that you would do the, the sort of uh, the physical fitness side of it and coaching all at the same time. And I mean, I know that's that side of things is, it is catching up with the sport, but it's still very much in its infancy as, as far as the amateur game goes, you know, the really, there's a lot to, to sort of catch up there, isn't there? But I think it's, I think it's really cool that, that you've kind of got both sets all under the same umbrella. 
Yeah, I've, I've been lucky and that just, everything just seemed to work out well for me where I was able to um, play into the, I, I was able to shoot the round I needed to shoot when I needed to shoot it and, and get into the PGA. And I, when I started to teach, I just loved starting to see movement. And, and even more than when I was training, when I was teaching, it was, it, it really kind of made me um, almost see my clients, like almost see through into the joints just to kind of figure out kind of where, where those blockages were occurring. And um, yeah, it's just, it's such a, I, I love what I do. And, and now with Wes, uh, my husband being on board, he can, um, his knowledge on golf is like, is baffling. <laughs> so he, he's, he allows me, we, we kind of challenge each other a little bit on that, but his knowledge now on the physics of it, of I'm not a numbers person. So all of the, you know, all of the numbers that go into, to a golf swing, he can, he can help me on that side. And I see the movement side of it in the, and what the body does. So it's, it's a good combination for sure. Yeah, that's pretty good from a married couple. Do you ever got yeah. <laughs> some of that battles at the kitchen table? Uh, you know, surprisingly not. We, uh, I'm, I'm very lucky. He is completely respectful of, of my opinion and my, uh, my background and and uh, that's how we first met so i hope he trusts me <laughs> yeah, oh, i'm sure he does <laughs> yeah. well yeah shannon once again we just want to say thank you for coming on and sharing your time and you've got a lot to offer you definitely helped me and if uh, people are looking to get in touch with you how could they do that uh definitely through uh dmgolfperformance.com is is our website um so if you're in calgary here you can definitely shoot me a line and come down and, and check it out maybe get a golf fitness and movement screen um but we also have dynamic motion golf tv now which we've got i think close to over 60 60 classes ranging from mobility core strength speed um, and Wes has come on board now and done some mental series and instruction series on the TV as well. And that's, uh, that's just a subscription. So you don't have to be necessarily in Calgary, pop on and, and you can, yeah, get on a zoom call with me and, and we can go that way too. Brilliant. Well, we'll, we'll link all of that in the, uh, in the notes anyway, cause that's, that's all very interesting stuff and hopefully people can get a lot out of it. Thank you. Yeah, we, uh, we hope so. We just want to, you know, obvious, we obviously want to help and, and hopefully it's a way we can reach a few more people. And if I can help somebody, you know, ne not necessarily in Calgary, but help them improve their golf. That's great. Yeah, that's what we're all here to do. Well, again, thank you so much. And yeah, thanks, Shannon. Your Sunday. Yeah. Thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah. Hopefully you can get out and enjoy. Uh, hopefully it's nice where you are, James. <laughs> no, never. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, it's uh, it's usually quite cloudy, but we're hoping things change soon enough. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll hope we can get out there soon. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Shannon. <laughs> All right. All right, Shannon. Have a good one. Yeah. Take care. Take care. Bye bye. Bye.